Welcome back to season two of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Today, I have with me Alex Gamelgard from Active Campaign. Alex is a seasoned product marketing leader and go-to-market expert. And today we talk a lot about storytelling and how it can impact your go-to-market, how it can differentiate you in the market, how it's differentiated Active Campaign from a sea of other vendors as well. And how as a leader of a team, you can help set your team apart in telling great stories. This is one episode you're not going to want to miss. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. Clue is the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers that want to drive revenue for their business. It helps product marketers to easily collect, curate, and distribute insights that enable your revenue teams to beat their competition. Welcome back to season two of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I have with me Alex Gamelzard, Senior Director of Go-To-Market Strategy at Active Campaign. And I'm really excited for this episode. Alex and I talk a lot about messaging and positioning and storytelling. Alex is an expert at this and has done it a lot at Active Campaign. And you're going to want to tune into this episode to level up your own messaging and positioning. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Active Campaign? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Alex, as you know, I live in San Francisco and I've been a technology marketer my entire career. Product marketing has always been my passion and love and focus, but have definitely dabbled in all areas and also a variety of industries. Primarily, you know, B2B SaaS has been my wheelhouse, but I've really liked to step out and explore things like robotics, marketplace companies, some B2C. It's all super fascinating. And I feel like the coolest thing about product marketing is every time you leave a job, you have learned something about a new industry. It's not just the product marketing skill set, it's the customers, it's the stories, it's the trends. So you you could spend a year in a real estate company and come out feeling like an expert and being able to be a little bit dangerous there. So that's like my what I love about the job. So an active campaign, I'm the senior director of go to market, which for us includes industries, apps and solution marketing. So it's a little bit of a, I would say this is a product marketing plus role. So I have enablement, a reporting in platform marketing, go to market, which is a little more around integrated campaigns with a focus around industry specific integrated campaigns tied to our strategic partnerships. And then a new area I've been recently building out is focused around, I'll call it life cycle, which is a pretty new and exciting area for us at Active Campaign as well. That's looking at that in-product adoption and messaging. So I've been here for about a year and a half. And during that time, we've taken on two funding rounds. Our last one was a 240 million Series C that we closed in April. And we've added over 50,000 customers since I joined. It's my favorite, the the kind of that hyper growth. A lot of work, very stressful, but high reward as well. For sure. And it's a lot of fun going through that, I will call it a scale-up phase, right? Mm -hmm. Where the number of customers coming into the business and the work that you're doing is just infinitely scaling on a day-in and day-out basis. And congratulations on the recent funding round. That's incredible. You mentioned that you were starting a lifecycle team. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I do want to get into storytelling because you and I were talking a little bit before the episode, and I think there's a lot of interesting things about storytelling that I want us to share with the audience here. But can you tell us a little bit about lifecycle marketing on your team first? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we have 150,000 customers and that's true accounts. That's not users. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of users of this platform. And this all, I'll share a little bit later. This also ties into the kind of the unique way we think about storytelling. But when you're trying to deal with that level of volume, you do have to think a little bit more like a B2C marketer, which is super fascinating. I think a lot of my historical experience had been you come out of a quarter and maybe you've brought on a hundred new customers. It's pretty manageable. You have a sales team that can manage those accounts and talk to them. And a lot of the upsell and adoption and account management is really done human to human versus when you're selling at this level of volume, you have to have a lot of it be automated, which, I mean, that's what we sell, but you know, we also have to be able to do that ourselves and automate these customer experiences. So it's sort of a mix of at a B2C company, you would call it like growth product management. And it's a new discipline. I think we're all realizing collectively as a company that we need to get better at. So I have had had some experience at marketplace companies in B2C and like, I know enough about it to get it up and running. So I'm hiring someone on my team with that really strong experience with growth marketing and thinking about how are you manifesting messages within the product and surfacing stories really, and opportunities for customers to further engage and stay engaged. And that's a cross-functional group that I'm working with the product team and then our CS team and then our lifecycle email marketing team. It's a big task force right now. So it's a pretty cool uncharted territory area that I'm having a lot of fun with. That's so awesome. And it's a big purview, but it sounds really exciting. And I love that you're bringing in lifecycle marketing and thinking a little bit more like B2C marketing to individuals, even when you bring in that automation component is incredibly important. And I think a lot of B2B marketers kind of need to lean more into that as well. So that's really okay. awesome. So totally. I want to jump back because we were talking about this before we hit record here about storytelling. And as we both know, storytelling is just so crucial to a product marketer's success today. And both you and I are in a fairly crowded market of marketing automation. And it's really the stories that we tell that can help set our companies apart. And so to really start the conversation around storytelling, can you tell me a little bit about how you and the product marketing team at Active Campaign think about storytelling? Yeah, sure. So generally, I think that no matter how crowded the market, whether you're kind of bringing something new to market that no one's ever seen versus you're trying to stand out in a crowded market, I always kind of start with the fundamentals for me is the realization that your story is already out there. I think sometimes people get overly wrapped around this idea that they have to come up with and create this perfectly, but it has to come out of their head. They can't look at anything else. They need to create this completely original thought from nothing. And that's just not realistic. And that's not the way stories really come out. The story for your business is already there. And in my mind, it exists at this intersection of what does the market want and what do you offer against that? And then all of the trends of the moment that present this opportunity for you and your company to kind of tap into the zeitgeist, right? So it's like that kind of intersection of the possible, the reality, and then like the gaps, you have something unique to say there. So I think that's kind of the first component. And then the second thing is realizing that what you offer to the market is not just a product. I think people get very caught up in this idea of well, we sell customer experience automation and our story is about this product. And I need to tell this product story to the market. The reality is you're not selling a product, you're selling an experience, you're selling a relationship, you're selling your people, you're selling your process, every little unique thing that you do. For example, like we offer a customer success commitment that's a pretty cool set of policies around flexible flexible canceling and renewal and getting grandfathered into prices and all these cool little things that we were doing that we weren't really marketing or telling a story about. 
And that's not our product per se, but that is part of the experience that you have with us as well as the community, right? And as well as all of our customers and as well as when you buy into a partnership with a company, like that's the company you keep. So I think really understanding who you are as a company and what you offer beyond just like the basic product is a great place to start. And then I think looking out into the market and kind of understanding, well, who cares about this and how are they talking about it and how are they thinking about it and why is it even meaningful? to them and then connecting those dots. And you end up with like an authentic story that's beyond just the product story. And that's really aligned to the people that you're talking to. I love that. And I think a lot of times we as product marketers have the, and just generally as writers, maybe I should say, have the tendency to kind of overcomplicate it, but you're absolutely Mm -hmm. correct. The story is already out there. And one of the things I like to do is head to review sites and see Mm -hmm. what our customers actually saying. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can actually pull sentences or just short little quotes from some of that to actually infuse them into your story that can be significant parts of your story. But you're absolutely right as well that it's not just your product. And I think that can't be overstated enough. And too many marketers, not even just product marketers, but too many marketers in general just rely back on the product. I love what you just said too, that the customer always says it better than you do. I think that is so true and so critical. It's like going from product documentation to messaging, right? There's like the truth of it. And then there's the way to talk about it. And I think even going that extra step, well, how do other people talk about it actually gets you closer to something that will resonate in the market than what you might come up with as far as like your internal speak. Totally agree. And so like, as you work through some of that feedback and some of the data and some of what your customers are saying, where do you start? You have all this information right in front of you, right? And now it's maybe your purview to actually create the story. Like, where do you start, right? You have this this blank canvas. So I would say anytime I've started a new product marketing role, and a lot of times in my career, it's been the first product marketer joining a startup or the first leader coming on to take product marketing and take it to the next level. I always try to build into my process as much as possible and frankly insist on it because it's just, (laughs) it works. Like the first quarter, the first month, you can do it as rapidly as you have to, depending on what company you're at. But some kind of, I call it like a state of the client type report, and it's going out and looking at your key kind of customer who you think your ICP is. You can look at You start with customers because they're the easiest to get on the phone, but also if you can get some recent loss deals and kind of mix some of that, if you can talk to 10, 15 at least. And what I'll do is I'll set up a series of interviews, standard questionnaire, but then kind of like this podcast, you know, if we go off script, it's fine. But you're generally like buckets of things that I'm trying to talk to them about with their regular jobs. What do they do and out in the world? Why do they use your solution or not? What kinds of other things do they do? What are their other priorities? And what's been their experience with you if they've had one? And I go through through that interview process, I put it all into a SurveyMonkey account so that I can look at it side by side. And then I'll pull it all in and just like, I'll run filtering. I'll start doing like word analysis. And usually that gives me a pretty good idea of what is the state of the state. And then I'll compile it in a report. I'll share it back to the company. And the nice thing about that is it gets you early buy-in. So when you're working on messaging after that, everyone has already agreed. Oh yeah, this is what the customers think and say, this is what the market generally thinks and, and what they think are, are talking about. So it's a really good framework as like a jumping off point of just getting kind of the state of the state and understanding what the market, the customers, and the people don't like you. What are they all saying out there? And then that's the job of product marketing. There's a little bit of the magic part of it is having the instinct to be able to go through it and kind of pull it together and make sense of it, right? 
For sure. Yeah. Really that glue component, so to speak, not only between mm -hmm. the departments, but also between all of this maybe disparate data, I guess, so to speak, and being able to craft a beautiful narrative, a compelling narrative, maybe I should say, from all of that is, is really smart. And I love your approach to that in bringing in all of that data, talking to people from closed lost and closed one, talking to others out in the market, and then pulling that into SurveyMonkey is really smart. I was talking with one of the PMMs from my team, and he was asking, how do I do this for something? that is currently in development that we don't have like mock-ups for and that we don't have something that we can show. And I told him, well, it's actually less about the product. It's more about the problem or the pain that you're solving mm -hmm. for and what we're actually doing. And so go into the conversation with questions focused on that more so than the actual product itself. And you'll actually get more value out of it, in my opinion. I think that I totally agree with you. And I think one challenge a lot of companies have is they only talk to their customers and they only talk to, especially like early adopters. You see this a lot at early growth stage startups where the CEO or the founder is really the, they had a genius idea. They were able to sell it to early adopters who think like the founder and have that same exact perspective. And then they hit this wall of growth where they suddenly, I mean, basically what happened is they went through all of the like-minded early adopters and now they're struggling that same story, the founder story, isn't going to work with the kind of late majority stage of the customer group. So now they're going back to their customers. They're confused because all the message they're getting, all the feedback says, well, everyone thinks like we think. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to go talk to people who don't know you and ask them those questions about what their needs are. And you may find that your product, the way that they care about your product is going to be completely different than you thought or than the early crew that kind of comes along for the ride. So I think that's a, a pivot and realization point as it relates to messaging that I've seen a lot of companies go through. I've also seen a lot of that as well. And staying connected to your customer, whether that's through some of the regular things that we've been talking about, or maybe customer advisory boards or things of that nature, I think can help break through some of that. But it's so important to kind of remove that layer of what we want to be, so to speak, and really focus on where are we today. And it's okay to focus on your vision, of course, right? Because you need to have that forward-looking view, but that kind of realistic and candid view will help you break through that, in, at least in my opinion. Totally. Well, it's getting away from the people that drink the Kool-Aid and yes, figuring yes. out what do we need to say and do for people who've never heard of us, who are going through their lives happily without us. How do we create that realization and that sense of urgency? And it may mean that your story shifts. And I think that's an important part of it too, is making sure that you're not overly precious about your story. You've got to be willing to adapt it. I totally agree. I think all too many times a story is created. And let's be real, these stories are hard to create. They're not simple projects that take a day or two days or even a week. They are a fair amount of effort. And yet they are stories that are consistently iterated upon maybe day over day or week over week or month over month. But the important part is they're kind of living and breathing and they're evolving and they're not just stagnant. Because I think that's a, a big part of the challenge is that these stories get created. They're kind of left alone. And then suddenly they get outdated maybe six months or a year after as the market kind of shifts and as customers change. Totally. I was at a company once where one of the key value props, like this was straight from the founders. It was the vision behind the product, if you will. We ended up finding through win-loss analysis, we were selling to recruiters who are, if you can think about an engineering tech founder and a Midwestern you know, recruiting leader, those are very different people, right? That have very different approaches to life and priorities and all that. And we ended up finding that the core value prop, they loved the product. They loved what it did, but the way we were talking about it was 
such a turnoff to recruiters because it didn't feel warm and human centric. It felt very sharp edged and designed for like an engineering audience. And it was a really interesting aha moment. And once we were able to kind of prove that out and think about the story itself wasn't different. The product didn't change. But the way we were talking about the very same capability or benefit, we had to kind of go back to scratch. And how do we reposition this benefit for this audience? And it made a huge difference. For sure. And I think that lines up with a question that I wanted to ask you around. I've seen a lot of companies and a lot of PMM teams actually that I've talked with that focus a lot of their messaging and positioning on them, right? It's we reached this milestone or our product enables you or allows you to do X, Y, and Z. And they focus a lot of those narratives on themselves. And some of that is okay. We absolutely should celebrate and recognize milestones as companies. I'm not saying don't do that. We absolutely should. But I think Far too many of these narratives are internal focused. And so I'm curious, like, how do you ensure you have a wide purview active campaign with a lot of people? How do you ensure that your narratives are really truly customer and buyer focused? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it is a challenge. Like, I'll be very clear. You know, I think it's something you have to continually go back to and look at something you thought was more buyer focused and you realize, oh gosh, no, we went straight into product. So I'm constantly looking at things and trying to rework them for that. But what I would say is one benefit that we have at Active Campaign is we sell a product to a very diverse audience, right? You know, we have 150,000 customers all across the globe, everything from a single person consultant business to a flower shop, to a band, to Whole30, to just all across the board. And our product manifests differently with every single customer that uses it. So we really rely on our integrations to deliver this connected marketing tech stack. And so if you're a customer that's using Shopify and Square and maybe an event tool, an Eventbrite, something like that, your automations that you're able to run, the data that you're collecting, the customer profile you're collecting, and the predictive capabilities of the product are going to be a completely different and unique product experience than if you are a B2B company that's using Salesforce and Zendesk and you're focusing on the relationships and making sure that you're executing that CRM component of it. It's two totally different product experiences. So there isn't really a way for us to talk about the product in any kind of unilateral way. So the only way that we can really make that real and make that understandable is to be hyper-focused on what the customers are doing in the customer experience. And one way that we've been able to solve for that is taking a look at across three kind of core business areas. So, you know, B2C customers that are building that digital brand and really focused on growing through channels and that e-commerce customer that's really looking at transactional sales, the point of sale, looking at driving up their cart values, all those kind of typical metrics. And then that B2B customer that's really focused focused on that longer sales cycle, the considered sale and that relationship-based sale. We look across each of their unique customer life cycles and also across the company growth stages, right? Because we have two-person companies and 250-person companies that are using the solution that are at different stages in their evolution. So we look at those lenses. What are you trying to solve for at this stage in your company journey? And then what are you trying to solve for at this stage in the customer life cycle? And when we just speak to that relentlessly and we look for stories that allow us to highlight wins from our customer base at every one of those points. And that's from a strategy perspective, both allows us to stay focused on the customer and then also allows us to message across what is a hugely diverse customer base, which is if we were taking the traditional personas approach would be impossible. 
Sure. And I love your focus, or if it's fair to say your customer obsession there as a part of the process, it sounds like, right? It's not just something that your product does, but it's a part of the process for your respective team as they think about creating this actual messaging, which can filter down and make it less about the product specifically, but more about your customers and the outcomes that they can achieve. Exactly. More interesting that way, right? (laughs) It absolutely is. And that's the way it should be for product marketers. So one thing that I think you and I have both recognized and a lot of product marketers have recognized is traditional positioning has kind of come under fire recently. And this kind of goes to what we were just talking about, right? Around pain problem solution type methodology. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a little bit controversial, but I'm curious, like, how do you think of some of the storytelling frameworks now? And do you use any of those traditional frameworks? Have you kind of come up with your own framework? Framework, or do you still use maybe some of the traditional positioning frameworks active campaign? So when we first started, we did look at, should we pursue the traditional kind of personas framework and thinking about how to sell to that marketing buyer, that sales buyer. But because we have such a broad and diverse customer base with completely different kinds of companies, you know, e-commerce companies have a totally different life cycle than B2B, totally different titles. I mean, some companies it's one person wearing all the hats, right? So we couldn't go that route and really looked at what are some other companies that have that more volume-based model or very diverse diverse customers like Intercom or Shopify does this too. How do they message? And it's really starting to pull some of the storytelling frameworks from B2C companies. So the one that I like for our team is looking at the jobs to be done. And when you're looking at, for example, an e-commerce company at various stages in their growth journey, they're going to have specific challenges that we can solve for. And then when you look at their buyers, our customers' customers, they're trying to provide a better experience to their customers at different points in their customers' buying journey. So we can kind of look across those two sets of dynamics and identify the main core problems that our customers are trying to use ActiveCampaign for and just really focus on that and focus on those outcomes. And that's gotten us to a much more effective framework for a company that kind of sells the way that we do. That's incredible. And the focus on the jobs to be done framework does focus really on, I think, at least a lot more on the customer outcomes that you're trying to achieve, which streamlines your messaging and your positioning and your stories that you're telling really around that versus just your product itself. So that really is very smart. I like that a lot. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So maybe to shift gears just a little bit, like you're obviously a team leader, you lead multiple teams and how do you coach some of your teams on some of this storytelling itself, right? You have experience doing it yourself, but now that you're a leader, how are you enabling your team and coaching them to really find success in creating these stories through the jobs to be done framework or the framework that they're using internally? Yeah. So there's a number of things. I mean, I think first of all, as much as I can, I tend to look for storytellers when I'm hiring. I think it's some of the intangibles are very hard to teach and it's just such a core skill set. but not everyone comes at kind of different stages of seniority and maturity. And I also think that coaching and modeling the right behavior is huge. One thing when I first got to active campaign, I was trying to kind of set the tone. And so we started a Friday happy hour. And then of course this was right. We went into COVID. So it was nice to have something fun on a Friday to do. You could bring your own drinks and we would just spend an hour listening to gong calls. And if you haven't used gong, I'm sure you have, but other people out there, I highly recommend it as a great listening tool. It really takes that step out of the process where you have to go chase down sales and ask them to let you sit in on their calls. You can just search on any kind of topic, any kind of challenge, any kind of customer, any kind of conversation, and just pull a bunch of recorded calls that really let you hear exactly how the customer's talking and then how the sales team's delivering the message and all that. 
So we started doing that and it was sort of like an hour long, hour, an hour and a half. And we would talk through the stories and then do a little bit of like coaching and kind of work through that. So everyone could kind of hear how is what we're doing transitioning into what the market is saying and what are we solving problems for sales or are we creating problems with our messaging? So that was kind of the first thing that we did. And then getting right now we're implementing like a formal win-loss program. And I just feel like that's it. There's nothing better than having to put yourselves in a salesperson's shoes. I think that's the best way to help anyone understand if their kind of esoteric messaging actually works in the real world. For sure. And I love the happy hour idea. Certainly we use Gong as well, and it's a phenomenal technology and it's truly made connecting with customers in terms of just hearing what's resonating, what's not. I certainly used it to talk with a sales rep and ask them to try certain messaging and then listen to kind of responses back in Gong as a way as well. But I love the happy hour idea. I may have to steal that. (laughs) You're welcome to it. (laughs) So maybe one other question on this similar line, which is like, once you create the story, once your team has created it and rolled it out, how are you thinking about the success of that narrative itself? Sure. There's a number of technical ways you could think about the success and looking at organic traffic and share a voice and all of those inbound PR requests. If you're telling an interesting story, people want to hear about it. So you could measure it technically, but honestly, the way that I really look at it is if other people are telling your story for you, it's a good story. And that could be, is the sales team picking it up and telling that story? Are your customers speaking the same language? Are you starting to get copycats out in the market? I've been at a couple different companies where we're starting something in a year in, we turn around and look and see like, oh my gosh, our competitors are lifting our messaging directly. And all of those things are indicators that the story is working versus like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you're in a group and everyone's kind of talking and you make a quip and you think it's really funny and nobody responds to it. And you think like, oh, they just didn't hear me. Let me say it again. (laughs) And you say it again and nobody responds. And you're like, oh, that was a terrible joke I made. I should not have tried that twice. I feel like messaging is a little bit like that, right? If it's good, people are going to pick up and run with it. So yeah. I totally agree. It's some of those intangibles that you exactly said that your competitors are picking up on it, the number of PR requests that you're getting, some of those things that are fairly hard to measure, at least on a programmatic basis. And there are certainly other ways you can measure it, like you mentioned, like share a voice and and whatnot. But it's some of those intangibles that really, I think, at least move the needle and truly gauge whether your story is really resonating out in the market. Mm -hmm. So maybe as I was looking at Active Campaign, I was on the homepage before we talked and I noticed you position the company around customer experience automation. I'd love to hear like a little bit more about that, what went into the decision behind that. I think both of us are in the marketing field and so we both hear a lot about customer experience today. So how do you decide on that category specifically and to kind of position the company around customer experience automation? Yeah. So, I mean, customer experience automation, the way that we like to talk about it is it's automated one-to-one communications that go through the customer life cycle. Marketing automation is a, or well, I guess marketing is a super crowded technology space. And the ways that we really look to differentiate are there's a lot of legacy solutions out there, marketing automation, CRM, that really solve for one part of the customer experience. Many of them have expanded and started to move into being more kind of an all-in-one full customer life cycle tool, but their core competence 
competency is one part of the customer experience. And from the beginning, we've really taken this approach of automating across all sales, marketing, and service solutions to create customer experiences and really trying to allow businesses to differentiate not by the products that they sell, but by the full experience that they provide. And honestly, like the way that we really came to why does this matter and why is this interesting is really from looking at our customers and really seeing a lot of the challenges they were running into. So it really did start from a customer centric place. And the thing that we kept seeing is you see small businesses all around the globe and you probably buy from a lot. I think about like the Dollar Shave Club being a good example of a business that starts really small and then it's able to grow and gain really extremely high levels of customer loyalty. And it's not because necessarily their like razors weren't new, but that company in particular was providing this really cool one-to-one interaction, super personalized service. And that's true for any successful Etsy store or Shopify store or any other company out there that gets its start. Your cool local restaurant. But the problem is like they end up becoming victims of their own success, right? So it's like this craft bespoke, small batch approach, consumers love it. And then as a business scales beyond a few customers, they completely lose it. And because they end up adopting these, like an email marketing tool, maybe they've got like a CRM solution. It's all about like mass messages that aren't tailored to the individual's needs. So what we allow you to do is just to enhance all the solutions you already have and create an automated one-to-one communication across social, email, messaging, chat, and text. And it's all about this automation first approach that lets these businesses keep doing what they do really well and then automate the things that they can. That's fascinating. I love the approach of taking the traditional category around marketing automation and CRM and really extending it out into the future. In my conversations with a lot of marketers out in the broader landscape, a lot of them are talking about customer experience, right? And so it's fascinating to hear the evolution of the space really towards customer experience automation. And I love the way that you really framed that. Well, it's a challenging problem, even for big businesses. I feel like we have examples like Netflix, like Amazon, these companies that have unlimited budgets and have these proprietary systems where I can log onto Netflix on my phone, on my computer, on my TV. You know, it knows me, it knows what I like, no matter where I'm at, it sends me relevant emails. But that's an experience that most businesses cannot afford, cannot replicate, and don't really have the expertise to do, right? And that even extends to the example I always use. I was on Instagram looking at a couch on West Elm, like some beautiful couch. And they had like that dreamy, pretty message about buying this couch. And the first social media response underneath it was, well, it'd be nice if I could ever get this couch delivered to my house. I've been waiting three weeks. They're all upset. And the West Elm social person responded with, and this is not to throw West Elm under the bus. I love that brand. The West Elm social person said, hey, I'm so sorry about this. Why don't you call this number? And one of our representatives can give you an update about your couch. And to me, like that's a CXA fail. That's a very clear example of you should know if you're West Elm, you know who this Instagram user is. That Instagram user should have a customer profile that should be connected to your support team. I know West Elm has most people's phone numbers, but if I posted an angry social text about being mad about not getting my couch, someone should be proactively reaching out to me to let me know what the status of my couch is. Like I shouldn't have to take that next step again. And so that's a big company that's trying to do it and struggling with it. And, you know, we're helping companies of any size be able to connect those dots. And like, that's really, to me, like those, again, why we go back to story telling, it's hard to understand why it matters till you hear an example like that. And it's like, oh yeah, that would be a much better experience. Like that's going to drive repeat business. Exactly. And it's those stories, those examples that really truly bring it to life for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. truly turn on the light bulb moment, so to speak, to teach them how to make that shift, which is hugely important. Yeah. Cause it's complicated, right? I mean, it is, (laughs) there's more channels that you can, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's, it's a lot for any business. 
It is. And especially for the market active campaign serves, as you mentioned, right? These small businesses, whether two, 250, whatever the case may be, they are working to create this amazing customer experience and being able to do it in a way like Netflix is incredibly important to a lot of them, right? Where they truly care about every aspect of their business and having the tools and technology to do that is enabling. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even like our larger, our more mid market and kind of more at market companies are still struggling with it because it's hard to do that while you're trying to grow. 100%. Yes, I agree. So one question as we close out, I like to ask everyone about what they're learning about, what they're listening about, what they're reading, I should say. I'm a fairly avid reader myself, and I love listening to podcasts, recently got into audiobooks as well. And so curious if there are any books or podcasts or maybe audiobooks that you've listened to recently that have had an impact on your career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say right now I'm actually spending a lot of time on the Reforge website just because <laughs> I'm trying to learn more about growth marketing as a discipline. But outside of that, I think especially after the last year of COVID, I am more convinced than ever before that the reason companies fail is rarely because people don't know how to do their functional jobs. I think it all comes down to EQ and it all comes down to leadership and it all comes down to empathy and understanding and creating psychological safety for people. There's lots of examples of in the Valley of things that should have worked crashing and burning because it was just such a toxic culture. So as I'm focusing more on leadership, we're, and actually as at Active Campaign, we're as a company really focusing there as well. So right now I'm reading Conscious Leadership and there's another great book. I think it's called the Reality-Based Rules of the Workplace. And to me, I think the more you can learn about yourself and the dynamics of people and how to manifest kindness and grace through difficult times. I think if everybody spent 10% of their time focused on that, I think a lot of businesses would actually be performing a lot better than they are. Totally agree. And I love those books. I'm definitely going to have to look both of those up. It really would truly be transformational. The more leaders can truly invest in and truly care about their respective teams and their happiness as an organization, as a unit as well. It's just so important, especially in a day and age when connecting at an in-person level, right? And kind of human is harder than ever. Totally. Yeah. It's been a tough year for, I think, a lot of people. It has been, but I'm so thankful that we can have these conversations and still connect. And it's so important to do with the folks on your respective team and also within the broader business as well. Totally. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Alex. I really do appreciate it and appreciate all of your expertise around storytelling and leading a go-to-market and product marketing team. And any final words that you want to share with the audience before we close out? This was so much fun and I really appreciate talking to you today. It was great. Thank you so much, Alex. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope this conversation with Alex was really helpful in the way that you think about storytelling as a product marketer and as a holistic product marketing team as well. Stay tuned for next week when I talked with Diego Lamento, the VP of product marketing from UiPath. UiPath is an incredible success story, a company that is now valued at nearly 36 billion with a B dollars. That's huge. Diego and I have a lot of interesting topics to share and a lot of interesting conversation on what it's like to take product marketing through an IPO. Stay tuned for next week. Thank you. With Clue, you can build and deliver battle plans to help sales close more deals. Stay on top of your competitors' strategies and measure your competitive program's impact to the bottom line. Don't just compete, compete to win.